0: Hello, wherever you are listening to us, I hope you are staying safe and doing well. I am Hari Arakli and today I am bringing you another edition of our special tech briefings, this time on quantum computing. Quantum information systems have interested scientists for half a century, but important theoretical breakthroughs are credited to physicists including Paul Benioff and Richard Feynman in the early 80s. Today, large companies like Honeywell, IBM, and Google, as well as startups like Xanadu Quantum Technologies in Canada, are in a race to commercialize ever more powerful quantum computers. Especially over the last five years, interests and investments in this area have picked up considerably, and technology companies as well as national governments have committed billions of dollars to developing commercial quantum computers. Computers like IBM's Quantum System 1 are already being used to run complex calculations in areas like developing next-generation electric cell chemistries, optimizing shipping routes, and machine learning. To understand what quantum computing is and how quantum computers could one day solve problems impossible to crack with even the most powerful computers of today, I spoke to two very senior scientists at IBM. Dr. Heike Reed is an IBM fellow the company's highest technical distinction, head of science and technology and lead of IBM Research Quantum Europe at IBM Research. Dr. Gargi Das Gupta is director of IBM Research India and chief technology officer of IBM India and South Asia. Here's what they said. Dr. Reel, uh, Dr. Das Gupta, thank you so much for making time for this uh, show. Uh, Welcome to the show. To start with, Tell us about uh, what uh, quantum computing is about. Explain to us like you would explain it to children. And uh, also give us a bit of uh, history of quantum computing and quantum computers.
1: Yes, of course. I mean, quantum computing, it's really a very, very exciting new technology, uh, which is coming now. And um, how do you explain it? Um, It makes use of the laws of quantum physics. And that's very strange to, to many of us because we are in our daily lives not really... Um, connected to the quantum physics, but more to the classical physics. So when we look at classical computers, which we use today, then they manipulate individual bits. And these individual bits, they are actually storing the information in zeros and ones. And we use these zeros and ones to then um, calculate and process the information. And uh, that has some limitations. And with quantum computers, they use the laws of quantum physics And um, they can actually use not only a zero and a one, but all the combinations at the same time. And we call those bits then qubits because they can live in this mixed state of a zero and one. And this gives then a much richer possibility of calculations and of solving problems which are not possible to be solved by a classical computer. And you can store much more information with these quantum bits. And I can give you an example. When you have, for example, 50 qubits, then these 50 qubits represent actually one quadrillion data values. That's a really, really high number. And if you go to 300 qubits, then these 300 qubits represent a number which is actually more atoms than the universe holds. So you can see that There is an exponential law behind, and this makes these quantum computers so rich in power and performance. Hmm. So you asked also about the history. And um, if you want, I can elaborate a bit about the history of quantum computing, because IBM is not new in quantum computing. Actually, we started already in the 60s uh, to work on quantum information theory. And right away when Feynman has born the idea, Professor Richard Feynman, Mm -hmm. when he has born the idea of quantum computing in the early 80s, then we started to work on the theoretical uh, work on quantum computing. We also later started to work on experimental things to make quantum computers work. And then actually in 2016, just about five years ago, in in May 2016, we were then able to launch the first quantum processor via the IBM cloud. And this was at that time a five qubit processor, um, which is not very large at that that time, but over the years now we have significantly improved also and increased um, the, um, the power of the quantum computers and also the number of qubits. And so 2017 then, just a year later, we also started to collaborate and to work together with other partners in our quantum network because our intention is to really accelerate quantum research and uh, development for quantum computers. Uh, This is one point, but the second point is also that uh, our heart is really also to educate the future workforce and to teach the future workforce and help to provide also material for making us all quantum ready. And this includes then also to advance quantum computing for commercial application. Which means we need to think about and uh, explore what are the right problems which we want to solve with quantum computers. And then just a few other in 2019, we launched the first IBM system one. Uh, This is a computer now really moving from the lab environment of a physics lab into a data center and make it more accessible to everyone in the world. yeah, if you look now, we, today we have 65 qubits. So you see the machines have, in, have uh, increased in dimension from five qubit to 65 qubit. The performance also has increased. And this is also our mission for the future to further increase the technology, to increase the number of qubits and also the performance of the quantum computers. And by end of 2023, we want to break the thousand qubit barrier. And that's a very important um, barrier because there are quite some technological improvements which are needed to be done till then. And with 1000 qubits, we also imagine that we can um, then also demonstrate quantum advantage, which means that we can demonstrate really a application where quantum computers um, are better than classical computers for and create business value. That's kind of a history to the present and a bit of a look into the future.
0: Hmm. Uh, Give us a sense of how important uh, quantum computing is. I mean in the sense of how important it is uh, to to humanity and allow me to uh, explain. For example, if you were to look at the the discovery slash invention of fire or the invention of zero or the understanding of the theory of relativity or the understanding of the human genome and, uh, and you know, events like that, where would you place quantum computing in terms of its significance?
1: Oh, that's a very difficult question. Um, so perhaps let me go a bit in history uh, and make an, an analogy to perhaps better understand how I see quantum computers. If you look back into the computing and how it started with the mechanical computer, I mean, with um, the abacus, right? With the, with the mechanical computers, uh, with the electromechanical computers, and then the invention of the transistor in 1947, which then um, started to launch the integrated circuit uh, to the processors which we have today and building supercomputers where we can do simulations which we wouldn't have imagined many years ago. And the same is true also for the electronic devices, which we carry around, which also have uh, are possible because of this tremendous sophistication which happened in the silicon industry over the last 60, 70 years. And I would say with the quantum computers, we are also in the early phase. And we, I think at that moment, cannot fully imagine what quantum computers can do in the future. But we also know that the laws the law of progress can be actually much higher than in classical computers, because the scaling of the performance is different. So as you know, in a, in a classical com- digital computer, the fundamental devices are the silicon transistors. And um, today we have these processes, they have about 15 or 20, 30 billion of transistors. And if you want add one additional transistor, that doesn't make a big difference. So you would need to double the number of transistors in order to make significant progress. With quantum computers, actually, due to the laws of quantum mechanics and the different scaling behavior, if you add one additional quantum bit, you actually double the performance of a quantum computer in theory. And this is tremendous because you know, you add one qubit and you theoretically can double the performance. That is amazing. And um, we, we haven't reached yet the theoretical um, limit. Um, so, but this is the goal. And so, the dynamics of this development can be much bigger. And the problems which which can be solved then. Um, are also much bigger. And there are simple problems which classical computers have not been able to solve yet. And which are also important for all the humanity. If you look at, um, at fertilizer uh, development, many people may know in order to develop fertilizer, you have to use a certain uh, process uh, to go from the nitrogen um, to the fertilizer, which is called the Haber-Bosch process. And this takes a lot of energy, and um, but this is needed to grow food. There is, however, also a, a molecule in nature, uh, nitrogenase, which makes this process at room temperature and under ambient conditions. And so, if but we don't understand this process yet. So you see, there are a lot of unsolved problems in science, and quantum computers could help to easily solve those problems. And so I envision actually a lot of impact, whether this is in medication, whether this is um, in in optimization problems, in understanding materials, development of materials for batteries, uh, for lighter transport, um, for, yeah, as I said, medication and other things. So I think there's a huge potential and I think right now it's very difficult to foresee um, you know, how big the impact can be, but it will be definitely big.
0: Uh, can you give me uh, two specific examples of uh, uh, recent advances in the field of quantum computing, uh, which are helping us get closer to uh, commercial quantum computers?
1: Yes, of course, a lot is in the technology development which we're doing. Um, So we are developing the entire stack from the hardware to the software to also um, the application space, because we also need to understand for which applications quantum computers will be much better to use than classical computers. If I look at the hardware space, then uh, we are advancing the number of qubits and also the performance of the qubits or the quality of the qubits, uh, which means also reducing errors, implementing error correction, etc. And so just recently we have um, demonstrated the 65 qubit chip. Uh, this year we will demonstrate 127 qubits and on our roadmap is for next year, then 433 and end of 2023, uh, um, yes, 433 and end of 2023, we will demonstrate a chip with more than 1,000 qubits, which is called Condor. On the software side, we make quantum computing also uh, being um, efficiently processed in the cloud. And this is a recent progress, which I actually have demonstrated at the IBM Think event um, just in May where we demonstrated an increase of the speed of doing quantum calculations by a factor of 120. And uh, that's also a significant improvement, which we have made the last year by optimizing and and working on the improvements on all these ends from the hardware to the software and also how we do the calculations. So there's a lot uh, already going on and a lot to come.
0: so about uh, India, IBM has recently said that it's opening up its quantum system to researchers in India over the cloud. I would imagine this must be part of a global uh, initiative. Uh, you know, so can you talk about uh, how this initiative will help re- researchers in India and elsewhere?
2: Yes, indeed. So, so this recent announcement that we've made is is really really exciting because with it respective faculty and students at the institutions will now be able to access these quantum machines that Ike was talking about, you know, the state of the art machines. They're going to have learning resources at their fingertips and tools for both education purposes, which means really, you know, spread the knowledge um, among students as well as for research purposes like Heike was saying, the, the opportunities are limitless, right? Whether it's new material discovery, uh, whether it's uh, for financial fraud detection, whether it's for the automotive industry, right, and optimization use cases. But a lot of research still needs to be done and incubated and opening up access to real machines, not simulators is, is, is a giant stride, right? And of course, Uh, In the announcement, we called out uh, the institutions like ISR Pune, uh, Indian Institute of Science, Bangalore, uh, the IITs, IIT Kanpur, Kharagpur, Madras, uh, and uh, Jodhpur, right? So all these institutes are going to now have access to state-of-the-art hardware. And we already know these are where we home the best brains and talents, right? So we're really expecting good outcome from this partnership, mm. but is just, just stepping back because I think it's important to also understand where does the Indian government want to go with this, right? And it's very exciting and very encouraging to really acknowledge that uh, about two years back the Indian government uh, declared the mission on quantum um, and responsible, the responsible unit was really Department of Science and Technology with strong support from IT. And and their approach was that let's create for the nation, a central technology innovation hub that focuses on quantum. And this hub is going to partner with the top academic institutions. It's going to partner with the creative startup. It's going to partner with uh, the client ecosystem uh, who really have a big need for quantum in the coming few years, right? So partnering Uh, with research, partnering with startup ecosystem, partnering with uh, big clients, really makes this a three in a box uh, kind of model that the government wants to pursue. And why is this partnership important? Because I I think this this vision of the government is very important because their interest is in in really two folds, right, education, so educate the masses. So develop undergraduate, graduate courses, uh, courses that have support of lab sessions. Really, access ubiquitous access to these uh, machines, and then, and that in turn fosters research, development projects, hackathons. You know, creates that vitality in the community. So education is a big thing, and and. A very, very smart move because India homes the developers, right? There's an extraordinary high number of developers in India and the interest in quantum is also very, very surmountable. So setting up this, this technology innovation hub really helps education. And the second thing that is exciting about this is that it really brings partnership of academia industry and thinking through, thinking together about algorithms, use cases that the industry will absolutely need, the academia will willingly partner on to make the transformations of tomorrow. So I think this this two-pronged mission is very important. And and that's where we, as IBM, also want to help, We are on that journey. The announcement you saw with our universities into the program is one way to do it. We've also uh, planned to use the, the platforms of NPTEL, AICTE for launching courses, for launching lab sessions. Again, these lab sessions will have limited access to the quantum computers so I think it's a it's a great ecosystem story that we've been banking on. Like I said, the the interest is at an all-time high. Um you know, already thousands of learners for courses and the government is committed and the universities are you know all geared up for skilling and taking on the challenge.
0: Mm. This is a Good chance for me to uh, get into the question of why there is this increased interest in this field. I mean, not just uh, technology companies, but also governments obviously have been tracking the developments in this field. So why is there this sense of urgency now uh, in quantum computing with many organizations like governments and large companies, as well as uh, smaller startups, uh, uh, collectively investing billions upon billions of dollars in this area.
1: So if you don't mind, I can I can provide a bit of a perspective to that. This has several reasons. I mean, first, that the classical computing um, has been based a lot on the miniaturization of uh, the devices of the individual transistors. And as I mentioned before, there are 30 billion of transistors already in such a processor, which are really very, very tiny. And it's more and more difficult technically, but also from an economical point of view, to make these devices smaller. This means that the performance of these computers also will kind of saturate at a certain point if there are not no new innovation besides miniaturization coming in. On the other hand, there are still significant science and uh, business problems which cannot be and will never be solved by classical computers because of their sheer dimension of problem. And um, and on the other hand, there are also the um, AI, the artificial intelligence, which also requires a bit of a different computation. So you see there are from this side, from the application side, limitations of the classical computer and also from the technical side. And quantum computers, on the other hand, has been evolved over the last 40 years from a theoretical concept where a lot of research has gone into into real qubits and real quantum processors. And there is now the path ready to continue to develop these quantum computers and improve them and um, increase the performance, et cetera. And applications can already be tested on them. The applications right now, they are um, yet not yet surpassing the the um, what classical computers can do, but since the performance scaling is different than classical computers, we expect this value to come very very soon. So we are really now in a t- in a very exciting time where you may miss the boat if you are not um, you know getting ready for uh, the quantum advantage and learning about quantum computers. As Gargi mentioned, right? Um, the developers are there. You have a lot of developers in India and developers also have to get ready to uh, use quantum computers, to involve them in the workflows. And that's where we also want to help because we don't, we of course develop the hardware but we are also developing the software and, um, and have different levels also of, of um, software developers uh, to, to define and to make it easier in the future to use quantum computers. When about five years ago, only physicists were able to use quantum computers. Today it's um, accessible via the cloud. There are software tools. Uh, we are developing the open source um, software Qiskit uh, together with others. And so it makes it really accessible. Um, The quantum computers and also the for the applications to be evolving, so we are going from a field which was driven by physicists into a field, where we also need the engineers to build the systems where we have the uh, uh, computer scientists and the software developers to also build the applications so it's really now an very, very exciting time.
2: Hmm. yeah Um, absolutely. Sorry,
0: please go ahead.
2: I mean, I I think. I think uh, just just to summarize, I think this is like, like I said it very well, right? The governments are committed to this because it is going to be a reality. It is going to be transformational and they don't want to miss the boat. Right. So developing a quantum ready workforce and building that nurturing ecosystem that consists of engineers, developers, you know, use case providers is very essential. So, so that's why the time is now, Hari, and um, and that's why all governments all around the world are really, you know, investing and giving this a serious thought and a serious part of their strategy.
1: Yeah, And perhaps to add also, Gargi, right, we have um, just at the beginning of this year um, released a so-called um, develop, quantum develop, quantum computing development roadmap. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you see also what type of tools and what type of uh, services we want to provide to the software developers and to the um, community and uh, and of course companies to be able to use quantum computers in a very frictional way, frictionless way that you can that developers can really they don't need to you know learn uh, the details of the quantum physics but they can uh, frictionless use make use of quantum computers.
2: Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I, I think that that's, that's a great point. I think we want to make it as easy for the developers to develop on the state-of-the-art quantum machines. And and that's, that's a big commitment in itself, right? Because you have to develop the tooling, the development environments, the services around this strategy.
0: Hmm. So you, you mentioned uh, uh, AI and quantum computing, uh, Dr. Reel. To extend that idea further, what kind of applications might be possible in the future uh, with the combination of quantum computing, AI, mixed reality, uh, very high speed wireless connectivity and uh, robotics I mean, and other technologies that you could think of today, which are being developed?
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, theres it's really an exciting time to be in computing and in technology development because you you mentioned a few right there is 6G coming there is robotics more coming I mean now we we actually 5G is first coming but in research of course we develop already 6G and this will provide even further bandwidth and even further possibilities to be at to um, to have further functionality at the edge to be used to help people but and quantum computers of course they also will um, have increased um, applications power in um, different areas. We look at chemistry, we have given a few examples, also in solving physics problems in biology, in finance, machine learning, optimization. And if I look at artificial intelligence like machine learning, then also here quantum computers um, can help because with these um, real special phenomena of quantum quantum physics, uh, one can reach actually much better classification of of data than one could do with um, classical computers. And uh, this has been shown that there can be a quantum advantage reached. It has this quantum algorithm has been developed and also been um, demonstrated on a real quantum processor already, and this can be then provide advantages for fraud detection, credit risk rating or customer segmentation and then, also in the finance industry, there can be more examples of how quantum computers can be use, used um, for, for example, risk analysis. Today, um, a lot of Monte Carlo simulations are used to analyze volatility or pay off value at risk um, of, um, yeah, in the risk analysis. And we are also we are developing in that space algorithms, quantum algorithms. Which achieve actually a quadratic speedup compared to Monte Carlo simulations. You're, so you could envision actually in the future also that you could could do real time um, risk analysis, which could then also of course speed up your decision making. So there are a lot of uh, really interesting um, applications which are investigated, and the the ones which are probably the earliest to come are the ones in chemistry and biology. Um, so to improve materials, discover materials, and this can be also done in combination with um, other computers. So what we envision for the future of computing is really a um, complementary um, um, support of all the different types of computers we have from, from the big data AI computers to the classical computers, but also to the quantum computers with, with uh, who help in this very special um, exponential scaled problems.
0: Hmm. What are some of the biggest
1: bottlenecks in
0: quantum computing today?
1: So there are a couple and, and if you look at the hardware, if you look at the um, hardware processor, then it's uh, the, um, the qubits itself, um, they still have some error uh, during their calculation. So this means that um, you need to do, in the end, error correction. And uh, for this error correction, you need also a certain number of qubits. So we need to improve the quality of the qubits. We need to increase the number of the qubits. And uh, these are one of the, uh, yeah, from the hardware point of view, the, the biggest challenges. Um, and also then scaling the number of qubits means that we have to bring in innovation. And um, as I mentioned before, we already are, have developed a roadmap and we know the challenges and uh, we are working on the technical solutions to them. Hmm.
0: So one of the things that you know, I've come across commonly about uh, quantum computers is that uh, the actual process of computation you know, requires uh, the qubits to work at uh, very low temperatures. Uh, is that uh, a bottleneck, or will that be addressed uh, in the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting. Actually, if you would have asked a physicist like 40 years ago, he would have said, yeah, the low temperature is really a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Since also on this side of, um, of um, achieving very low temperature and keeping it stable and making it easy to use, a lot of research has been done in engineering over the last twenty years. That these uh, fridges, how we call them, so these tools uh, or systems who cool down uh, the environment, um, they are very sophisticated already and easy to use. So they are um, they need to become bigger, etc., and of course more efficient and more cooling power. Uh, but already today, that's, that's quite good. And we also have own research and development in order to make these systems in the future ready for them, the bigger systems. Because if we want to build a build a million uh, quantum processor, so processor with one million qubits, then of course, the fridges which we have today also need to become larger and more efficient. And that's also one path of research and development we work on.
0: Hmm. Just to sort of give a, a, a simplistic uh, illustration, if you will, to demonstrate how much more powerful quantum computers will be, uh, would it make sense to talk about uh, uh, how much faster the IBM Quantum One system is in comparison with uh, the most powerful computers, classical computers available today?
1: Uh, I think that the speed is not um, always the, um, the right way. Because I mean, we, we, we used um, to use like the frequency and, and classical processes, right? We, we increase the frequency and then with the increased frequency, you could get a, um, more results at the same time. But since the, since the way of how a quantum computer works is very different, the speed is not always the right um, measure. Let's, so how do you explain this? Um, for certain problems, a quantum computer may not be faster than a classical computer. But for the problems which we want to solve, like the problems which exponentially scale in complexity, their quantum computers can make a big difference. And let me use Shor's algorithm to explain this. That's an algorithm which actually um does um um, factorization so it means it uh, finds you the prime number and this is a problem if you go to a very very large number then um classical computers would need let's say 300 million of years just to find the prime number prime number of a of a very large number because they really need to test every possibility and the possibilities um, go up exponentially. But a quantum computer explores the solution space in parallel and would find this in 30 seconds. Mm. So you see it really depends on the problem, on the algorithm you define. And that's why also a lot of research is still going on also in the development of the right algorithms. Mm. I just wanted to add
2: for uh, for you, Hari, I mean, I think this is a really good example for case so, so, you know, Shor's algorithm actually is the underpinning of many of our uh, 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 current security systems, right, based on the assumption that factoring large integers is computationally intractable. But remember, the assumption was made with classical computers, right? So, So this is one example of a change that is going to be needed in the future as as quantum computers uh, are easily able to uh, you know solve shors algorithm much faster like i can say it really has long standing impact into a lot of the security systems right so that's that's the impact that's the readiness that's what you know that's what all this new buzz new investment new thinking is about that what does what fundamentally changes the other thing is that you will see two paradigms of computing right one is the bigger powerful our qubit centric quantum computing and then there is the smallest and the small, uh, smallest devices at the edge the farthest edge which also needs to do some compute right and in the in for the next couple of years and foreseeable future, I think there will be a hybrid model in which there it'll exist, right? Some compute that probably does not need uh, or benefit from exponential feed, uh, speed up is going to run on classical machines. Oh, maybe the simplest one with small data and compute footprints will run on uh, the smallest of the smallest form factor devices. And then, use quantum for really things that benefit algorithms, optimizations, searches, classifications that benefit from the power of the machine. So in the foreseeable future, I think it is going to be a mix and a hybrid case with these different types of compute, classical and quantum.
1: Yeah, Gagi, that's perfectly uh, correct. And uh, I can elaborate a bit on it because when I tried to mention it before, but when you look at computing and the future of computing, how it evolves, you have different classes of problems. And in history, we used like a general processor, which was enough and the performance increase was given and we could improve the performance continuously over time. But now it's getting more complex and we have um, kind of specified tools, which we develop specified calculators um, and machines for these different classes of problems. And if you look at the um, artificial intelligence workloads, right, where you have a lot of data and you have uh, pattern recognition, which you need to do, which is actually where our brain is right, but a classical computer is not so well well working on it uh, because you, you, you don't need actually a lot of accuracy in your calculation, uh, but you just need to realize the pattern. And so we are developing also systems which are actually much better in this pattern um, recognition in order to speed up these um, neural nets, that they can calculate these neural networks much faster than a classical computer. And we call these um, hardware for artificial intelligence. And we also have like a roadmap in this space. Then on the other hand, you have the, Typical classical problems uh, where we use the bits, these can be transaction processes like credit card processes, uh, and then they will remain on these classical machines. And then you have these complex problems which a classical machine cannot solve, but the equation is so complex and it needs so many different states because they all interact with each other. What we have in, for example, molecules because they underlie their laws of quantum physics, there is where we use quantum bits. And all these have to be, of course, united in one machine, so to speak, in the cloud, that the user who wants to solve the problem, the user does not want to think about how do I need to disentangle now my problem, but just send it in the cloud, get it solved from us and get it back and have your solution. And then the system behind needs to make sure that the problem runs in the best way on the different systems which are provided.
0: Hmm. A couple of last questions as we start wrapping up uh, this session. Uh, I, You did talk about uh, IBM quantum systems being used at least for the last five years and on your website also I've seen some of the partnerships uh, the company has, various companies. Uh, so uh, is the uh, age of commercial quantum computing already here in the true sense, or do you, would you say it's still some time away? And if so, uh, how long do you think before reasonably common uh, commercial, commercial quantum computers?
1: Yes, so the, it's there right now there, the, com, the value is that we really, it's in this dynamic system where commercial value is hopefully to be achieved already in the next uh, two, three, four, five years depending on which area of um, advantage you look in or in, um, which area like chemistry, physics, biology, or finance, et cetera, you look into. And the thing is you need to start now to look into what is a problem in your company, in your industry, which can be solved by quantum computers in the near future to make a difference. Because it's something where you have to identify the right uh, problem, and then also already develop the algorithms and get the understanding and also get your workforce ready to then make uh, the best use of quantum computers as they have, uh, as they overcome um, the, the classical computers.
0: Hmm. Uh, do you expect that one day quantum computers will be uh, pretty common, like today's PCs or smartphones, or do you think they will remain? Uh, fairly complex and expensive uh, systems that uh, people can tap in new ways? Maybe, uh, I, I mean, if I understood your hybrid model correctly, did you mean that uh, you know, uh, a person can use his or her smartphone and uh, tap into a service that provides a quantum computation for some particular uh, uh, requirement? Uh, how, how, what kind of models uh, do you think will emerge?
1: Yeah, I think the model which you just described, the cloud model, and provide the uh, quantum computation as a service, or in general solving your problem as a service, I would call it, um, is is the most likely uh, problem, it's the most likely solution, I would say, because in the end you need these different types of computing typically um, to solve it, and actually already today, uh, many of the um, mathematical problems are already solved in the cloud, right? Even though you have, you, you use your computer or you use your mobile phone, they're not directly um, solved at your hardware. In particular, if these are big, big uh, require big resources. And so, but I would not exclude um, how things develop, right? And I, I just have to look into history. Um, our founder said, uh, the world may not need more than four computers, right, and this we you know has changed dramatically so i 'm i 'm a bit careful to make predictions here but i 'm sure that quantum computers uh, will be used through the cloud uh, for many problems to solve
2: yes i i agree i think the cloud uh gives a very very viable model it also um You know, it abstracts away a lot of the details that might be needed when someone wants to access a quantum computer and run algorithms and get the output of the compute. The other benefit of of course the cloud model is that as the technology advances as we make you know bigger better machines uh, with a low lower error rates and more qubits I I think uh, they just become accessible. So I think the cloud model is is really a good one, and I do. And I'm, again, I agree. I it's it's too far out to see what would be the way people use it, but that's definitely one uh, viable way that these machines become accessible to people.
0: Okay, excellent. Uh, uh, I have so many more questions, but uh, I know uh, we don't have too much time, so. Uh, Dr. Reel, Dr. Dasgupta, thank you so much again for making time for this. Uh, Much appreciated and I hope to keep the conversation going.
1: Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. Same here.
0: That was Dr. Haikar Reel and Dr. Gargi Dasgupta speaking to us from Zurich and Bangalore. That's it for this special briefing. I'll be back with our regular tech briefing tomorrow. I'm Hari Akali. Thank you for listening.